Thank you for such a nice welcome. Um, this is my first solo trip, and so this was supposed to help me decide if I'm going to keep traveling or if I'm just going to go hide back in my house. So, <laughs> so far it's been a really good trip, so I thank you. Hi, my name is Cheryl, and I'm a believer who struggles with codependency and grief. Hi, everybody. I'm grateful for the opportunity to share this with you. It's only the second time I've given this testimony. I was born in St. Louis, Missouri, to an Air Force sergeant and a mom who had suffered from polio as a child. My mom was very unhappy and refused any relationship with God and slowly became an alcoholic. Sometimes my mom would feel guilty about drinking too much, so she explained to my brother and me that she was not an alcoholic. She did not drink during the day at work. She just liked the taste of beer and she could quit whenever she wanted. However, her drinking increased and it often turned into rage. My dad and I were close, we understood one each other and I would overlook his behaviors, but Celebrate Recovery helped me realize that he was what you would call a binge drinker. By the time I was 16, we'd lived in Missouri, Texas, Kentucky, New York, Portugal, Japan, and England. I lost count of the numbers of elementary schools I attended, but I went to three different high schools. I learned how to put on a mask and adapt to new, scary, unfamiliar circumstances so that I could make friends. But there were always families on the Air Force Base that would invite my brother and me to go to church. Although my parents actively discouraged it, I'd still go once in a while, and seeds were being planted for me. Matthew 17, 20. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you, like our shirts. <laughs> in college, I was president of my sorority, and John was president of his fraternity. He arranged a football game between the two groups, and I learned later that he arranged this game so that he could meet me. <laughs> later in Celebrate Recovery, I learned that was very controlling and manipulative. <laughs> but at the time, it was pretty romantic. And he was handsome, charming, intelligent, and funny, and he was the life of the party. However, I knew it was too hard to stop drinking once you got started, so I didn't join in the drinking with John and our friends. However, despite lots of warning signs, John and I were married in our senior year of college. Four years later, God gave us our daughter, Laura, and two years later, our son, Johnny. John had been very persistent in talking to me about accepting Christ, and when our daughter was born and I saw that little face, I finally accepted him as my Lord and Savior. However, our church attendance was still very irregular. A few years later, Johnny started attending Christian preschool. That little three-year-old came back and explained to me that if we would go to school, his school on Sundays, we would hear more stories about Jesus. And that really tugged at his mom's heart, so we finally committed to our first church home. As John was climbing the corporate ladder, our family continued to move out of state. We moved seven times in the first 11 years of our marriage. After moving so much as a kid, this is not at all what I wanted for our family. And John said he didn't like starting over at new churches, so he stopped coming to church with the kids and me. I started working part-time at a preschool a couple days a week. My mind kept saying, get a job just in case. I thought for about 17 years we had a pretty good marriage. I really didn't think that John's drinking was a problem. It sort of seemed normal to me. However, I began to notice he was drinking a little bit more, interacting with the family a little bit less. But when I mentioned to him that he might be drinking a little too much, he said, Cheryl, don't worry about it. He was not an alcoholic because he didn't drink at work. 
He just liked the taste of beer and he could quit whenever he wanted. And I never thought of John as an alcoholic until he started drinking beer for breakfast and even I knew that wasn't normal. I gave him an ultimatum, go to counseling with me to work on our marriage and to quit drinking or leave. Much to my surprise, he packed his bags and he left. During the separation, I never told my close Christian friends at the preschool or at church that that John and I were separated. I didn't feel safe being so vulnerable. I did not even tell my mother and father that we were separated until they came to visit about seven months later and I thought they might notice that he was never around. (laughs) So I finally had to tell them. That part-time job turned into the position of the director of a Christian preschool that didn't believe in divorce and I was sure that's where John and I were headed. So I had to change jobs. I moved to the position of a director of a larger school. I soon learned that the school was dealing with a massive debt in addition to many staffing problems, and it was a difficult job. Around eight months into the separation, I noticed some changes in John. He wanted to see the kids more often. He smiled, and sometimes he even laughed out loud. The kids and I began attending a church that met in a gym, Saddleback Church. One Saturday night, the kids asked John to go with us to church the following Sunday morning. And much to our very big surprise, he said yes. And he finally found his church home. In February 1991, after 13 months of separation, John left a note on my table asking me to meet him for lunch on Valentine's Day. In that note, John told me he needed to share the 12 steps with me. I walked into that restaurant having no idea what the steps even were and wondering what I was going to face. At lunch, he told me he was attending Alcoholics Anonymous and he needed to share specifically one step with me, and that was the ninth step. We made direct amends to such people whenever possible except to do so would injure them or others. He said he was truly sorry for the pain he had caused. He said he still loved me. We cried through that lunch like a couple of babies as he asked for forgiveness and I gave it to him. Amends and forgiveness have the power to change lives. John and I began to really work on the issues that had torn us apart, and five months after that lunch, we renewed our marriage vows. However, at John's AA meetings, he couldn't talk about his higher power, Jesus Christ. And he didn't fit in with the men's groups at church because they didn't want to talk about alcoholism. So he wrote Pastor Rick Warren a concise 13-page single-space letter outlining the vision that God had given him, the vision for Celebrate Recovery, a Christ-centered recovery program. The next thing I knew, Rick called John into the office and said, John, that's a great idea. Now, why don't you go ahead and do it? That was not part of the plan. I had chosen Saddleback, a huge church, so the kids and I could be anonymous. Now John wanted to start a program for alcoholics and codependents. I had spent my childhood and 19 years of marriage trying to cover up the hurt of alcoholism, and I had no idea what a a codependent even was. But then John hit me with a big one. He was being called by God. How could I say no to that? So Celebrate Recovery started in November 1991 nine months after John made his amends to me. Now you know how it takes nine months for a baby to be born. Well, the kids always told us the Celebrate Recovery was like the third sibling in the family. First there was Laura, the oldest, and Johnny, the middle child, and then the baby and the favorite, Celebrate Recovery. <laughs> the first CR meeting had 43 people, and we met in a psychiatric hospital. 
The kids and I watched John give the messages. He was so nervous, it sounded like he had cotton in his mouth. At first, there were no testimonies. He just taught us through the 12 steps. There were four open share groups, codependent men, codependent women, chemically addicted men, and chemically addicted women. I wanted to totally support John in this Celebrate Recovery ministry, but I didn't have any issues. (laughs) But I was sure I could help others. I was fine and in control. That is the codependent motto. In about the third open share meeting, it hit me hard. I'd been raised by an alcoholic, and I had chosen to marry an alcoholic. Maybe I did have a few issues after all. Could I, was I really a codependent? In the following months, after I finally admitted I was, John felt free to talk to me about my codependency, and I had to learn to set a boundary. I said, okay, okay, I get it, my codependent, now let's just move on. Much to our family's surprise, John was hired at Saddleback Church in 1992. A year later, Rick took the entire church through the eight principles of recovery, and Celebrate Recovery exploded. Our pastor had said CR was a safe place in church for the hurting and people who had made mistakes. When John taught it on step four, Carl, one of our leaders, suggested that John put his teaching notes in a four-step workbook. John didn't want to do it, so I just told Carl he would pray about it. Here's how God answered that prayer. Every single time John would step foot on the Saddleback property, there would be Carl in his face, asking him very stubbornly, hi, John, how's that four-step workbook coming? This went on for months. I got a kick out of watching John try to avoid Carl as soon as he saw him approaching. (laughs) So finally, John said, okay, God, I get it. And he surrendered and started writing the four-step workbook. Now, I'm not sure if he surrendered to Carl or to God, (laughs) but the work began. I reread that workbook and talked about the questions with John until I thought I had it memorized. We self-published it in 1994 and received orders in a post office box. Whenever we got an order, we did a little happy dance and were so amazed at the far-off places starting to order the book. And that little workbook changed the trajectory of Celebrate Recovery and our lives. As the workbook got out, we started having men and women turning into Carl's asking for the books for the rest of the steps. A few years later, Zondervan started publishing the participant guides for wider distribution. In 2001, just two weeks after 9-11, a church in Maryland asked it to come to teach other churches about starting Celebrate Recoveries. Even though flying was very uncertain at our time, at that time and our kids were not happy about it, we decided to go. We thought it might be our last chance to teach other churches how to start Celebrate Recovery. Little did we know. <laughs> After that first conference, we started traveling every other weekend with John's assistant. We three traveled all over the United States. We went to tiny little churches in the country and big churches in the city. We also traveled to Australia, England, Ireland to teach training conferences. We were on an adventure. CR was going, growing quickly in the U.S. and around the world. Traveling together and sharing a purpose helped our marriage become even stronger. As we sat in airports, had flights canceled, luggage lost, sometimes got bumped to first class, sometimes told the, us that the airplane had run out of seats, ate different kinds of food, some great and some really terrible. We laughed together and certainly kept learning and relearning the lesson of powerlessness. And we were continually amazed at what God was doing and that we got to be a part of seeing lives changed while also having the time of our lives. 
Our family was growing right along with CR. In 2010, Johnny married Jenny and gave us our first grandchild, Maggie, followed by Chloe and Jimmy. I couldn't keep working full-time while also traveling for CR and cultivate the close relationships I wanted with my grandchildren, so I quit my job in 2007. Two years later, our family got busier and bigger when our daughter married Brian, and two years later after that gave us our twin grandchildren, Max and Lily. Life was getting crazy, so I joined another step study with women who would become very significant to me in the future. In 2018, John started complaining about an ache in his side, and at first we were told it was a gallbladder issue, and we were making plans for him to have it removed. However, another doctor looked at some of the tests and recommended that John go for further testing. We are finally told that John had cancer in his liver. He started immunotherapy treatments, which certainly do impact overall health. He didn't feel well, and he tired easily, and we took our first extended break from the traveling, and it was tough. We so missed meeting, worshiping, and teaching the enthusiastic attendees. And then, as you know, COVID hit the world in 2020, and our whole world stopped. In isolation, John and I grew closer again, but our biggest fear was, at that time was that if one of us got sick, we would be separated. John was considered very at risk, so we were very careful in what we called our hibernation. At the close of 2020, we got good news. John was in remission from cancer. In an effort to get strong enough to walk across the stage at the summit that following summer, John had finally started going on short walks with me, and that man hated exercise. <laughs> on February 22nd, 2021, John and I went for a walk in the neighborhood, but he fell. Some neighbors helped me get him up and home. He still couldn't walk, so I called the paramedics. John spent much of the night in the hospital, had a lot of tests, and was sent home to keep him safe from COVID. And we were so happy that we weren't separated. The following morning, I was trying to help him get up, and John passed away in my arms. I again called the paramedics, but this time it was too late. The whole world stopped again, but for me this time without John. The second night after John passed, I had extreme chest pains and thought I was going to die of broken heart syndrome, which is a real thing. Part of me was relieved, but then I started thinking about my family's sad eyes and how they would be forced to handle another loss. So I called the kids and started feeling better, and I couldn't stand the thought of calling the same paramedics that I'd called for John. After waking up for two weeks drenched in sweat and my heart pounding, I went to the doctor to get thoroughly checked out. And she told me I was suffering from panic attacks, and her prescription was walk in the sunshine 15 minutes a day. After C.S. Lewis's wife died, he wrote this, no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. I told my stepstudy about my doctor's prescription, they joined me in walking. I cannot explain how the love and faithfulness of those women helped me get through those first few months. They listened. There's nothing like being with people who are not trying to fix you. They were just plain there for me. If you've never been in a step study, I highly re recommend that you check it out. And my family and I covered a lot of miles walking those first few months as well. In addition, I started feeling like I was having trouble making decisions, but it wasn't just me, it was the whole family. Decisions were hard for all of us. We learned this is a very normal response and we started calling it our half grief brain. Identifying my half-grief brain was a big step for me. It took off the pressure and helped me give myself grace whenever I just couldn't make a decision. 
It was only about a week into grief that a friend texted how grateful he was to have the tools to work through grief. He had lost some significant people in the year and a half of COVID, but I wasn't sure I agreed with him, but he was texting a message of hope. But I wasn't sure if I felt any hope. Would I ever find it again? But a seed was again planted in my half-grief brain. Celebrate recovery is an integral part of me. After realizing that I was totally powerless, working through the eight recovery principles seemed like the best, most logical choice. Principle one, realize I'm not God. I admit I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. I was so powerless. I wasn't in denial that John had passed away, but I was in denial about how much my life was changing and how fast. Unlike coming to CR to experience change we know we need, I didn't want these changes. Principle two, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. And principle three, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. From day one, I started to list the things I was grateful for. It started with my family, my friends, and prayers from all over the world, and for 51 years of marriage. And I knew I mattered to God, and I continued to commit my life to him. But I still wanted God to use me, and I so felt like God had a purpose for me, but I didn't know what it was, but I felt it strongly. And I think knowing that we have a purpose is an important part of our healing. Principle four, openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Principle five, voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. I wanted to change away from the person that had started expecting everything to go wrong, to stop living in fear, to get away from the herd of unmet expectations and to give myself grace for not understanding the grief that others had struggled through. And I wanted to forgive myself for how hard the grieving process was for me. So I humbly asked him to remove my character defects, fear, hurt, disappointment in myself, and expectations of things going wrong. Principle six, evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and make amends for harm I've done to others, except when to do so would harm them or others. I can't really say with my half-grief brain that I understood that I needed to make amends, but finally I decided I just needed to do that, and so I did. And I was surprised, though, that I needed to forgive people who had hurt me while I was grieving, but I did that as well. I wanted to follow what Jesus would want for me to do, and I wanted to move forward. I kept that inventory sheet balanced and put down so many kindnesses during the early days of grief, doctors calling to say how much they would miss John, the barista who kept giving me free coffee, my loyal step-study sisters, and little gifts that were left on my front door. Principle seven, reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and to gain the power to follow his will. I can say that my quiet time with God is better than it's ever been. In fact, he might be a little bit tired of hearing from me. And my favorite principle, eight, yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and my words. The fear was finally gone, and I had found hope through the principles. So I will always tell people about the healing, even from grief, that can come from Celebrate Recovery. And my favorite principle eight led me to a new purpose for me, to reach out to those who are grieving. 
After the summit 2021, I reached out to several women in Celebrate Recovery who had also recently lost their husbands. And I asked if they just wanted to meet on Zoom just to get through the holidays. And we've been meeting ever since. I've developed stronger, deeper relationships with my friends. Some of them were part of that step study, and others were women that would not give up on me, kept reaching out, and were so encouraging to me while I was trying to figure out my next steps. In the beginning of 2022, I started having conversations with my daughter, Laura, about how we were both grieving and still in such intense pain, but that our grief was also very different. Laura explained that she had put her grief on hold while she tried to take care of me and the sadness of her kids and husband, and she was afraid that she was experiencing delayed grief. I had continued to tell Laura about how much my widow's group had helped me to move forward because of so many losses and so many similarities, identity issues, so many changes, forgiving people who were insensitive, the recurring hurt at the anniversaries of the deaths of our loved ones, and I loved those women, and they helped me heal. Laura wanted a group like mine where she could also deal with the grief of her dad. So Laura and I started Life Saving Choices Grief and Loss Groups. The groups meet on Zoom, men meet with, meet with men, women meet with women, and are divided according to their area of grief. For example, mothers who have lost children meet with other mothers who have lost children. Widowers meet with widowers. Some are men who have lost friends, siblings, and extended family. We have groups for estrangement. If you want to go to lhchoices.com, you can see the list of all the groups. We now have men and women who would like to start in-person groups in their churches. Our goal is for participants to be able to move forward in their lives or maybe facilitate or just may, maybe stay informally connected to one another. And I love that we get to point men and women towards celebrate recovery as they face relapse or discover they need to deal with some hurts, hangups, and habits that have started or they're becoming aware of during grief. And we're living out my favorite scripture, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. It has been so fun to work with my daughter. I've learned so many new things about her. And we laughed together because this ministry turned out to be much more than we bargained for. It's been hard and frustrating and has taken more time than we ever envisioned while also being affirming, rewarding, and an absolute joy to be fulfilling our purpose. And we think that John would be very proud of us. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you.